I don't want to get into a conversation after this about this because I just want to move on to the Bible study because you guys didn't come for this. But I do want to express my sincerest apologies to all of you all. Shouldn't we be taping us? We are. Okay. We are taking this. <laughs> uh, I want to expect, express my deepest apologies to you all. I'm very sorry. Um, I've never intended to make any of you all feel like peons. I've never intended to make any of you think that your voice isn't appreciated or valued. I've never intended for that to be the dynamic in the meetings. When I say that I feel overwhelmed with doing everything, it was never meant to suggest that you all won't help or aren't willing to help. I never meant that as a slur or a slander against this body of local people. When I say that out there, the fact is, is that you guys can't do the media. I can't do it. It requires a degree. And so I never meant to suggest that you all won't help me and I'm just here doing it by myself. That's not what I meant. And I never meant to make you all feel that way. And when I jump in and explain things, forgive me if you think I'm cutting you off. Forgive me if when you come here, you think you can't talk because you're worried what I'm going to say to you or about it. That's never been what's in me. You don't have to convince me. It's, it's not that way because this isn't about you convincing me. It's about me making sure that I express what's in my heart in case there's ever any confusion. Right? That's it. So, with that being said, what do you guys want to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll uh, piggyback on that, if that's okay. Uh, I'm slow to formulate my thoughts, and even slower to articulate them. And so with Lisa, if I don't interrupt, I don't get to talk. And so I kind of do that here, too. So I, but I feel free to interject. Um, my, my take on the way that you express yourself in here, Greg, is that you're so full and overflowing, you couldn't contain it if you want to. You'd probably be alone sweeping and you'd probably be talking out loud at the same pace. <laughs> so I, don't, I personally recognize that in you, that what's driving you is uh, what John Fazio said on this awesome clip. There's an indestructible force that has created an indestructible life in you. Yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's the way I read it. Mm -hmm. yes. The other way I would take it, too, I think, is your absolute desire for the truth to always be spoken. Yes. You know, now that there's a recording, I feel like you weren't so quick to, like, jump in and, and pick words apart before there was a recording. But now there's so many people watching and hearing these words. You want to make sure there's no confusion out there. So when somebody says something that maybe needs to be explained or picked apart just a little bit more so that people really understand the truth, I think that your desire to make sure everything that's spoken is always the absolute truth, I think that that's what comes out more than the content of. 
The other thing is that truth can stand up to scrutiny, and sometimes people conflate or confuse a statement or a position or a, a view being scrutinized with them being scrutinized. Yeah. And uh, coming from the profession I come from, I'm, I'm, I, I kind of compartmentalize the two. I can argue with somebody or discuss or debate something without taking it personally. I'm subject to taking something personally, for sure. Not everybody's comfortable with that dynamic. Some people here, you're condemning me when you condemn the wisdom of Satan I have just expressed. And <laughs> 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 they take that personally. Listen, I, I don't want to keep talking about this because I want to get into the stuff. But <laughs> We're into the stuff. Because this is, this is, this is stuff. I, I know what's in my heart. And so I'm naked and unashamed. And so the point of this wasn't that I feel guilty or I feel less than. The point of this is that it would it would hurt my heart. It would grieve my heart to to think that it wasn't coming across. And I just wanted to be sure that it was known, right? What is actually in there. And that people aren't just left, you know, floundering about it. Because I am self-aware and I do have a strong personality. And I don't know how to talk about anything without being passionate. And I understand that that can put people on the defensive when I get going and I start just grabbing thoughts. And, and I just I just wanted to express that that's not the intent. And I don't feel guilty like I was trying to do it, but it still hurts to, to think that there'd be anybody out there that that could be their experience. And so I would just want it to be known because you guys' heart is very precious to me. That's why we do what we do, right? I don't do what I do so I can have a name or I can have a platform. Like we actually care about you guys' hearts and you guys' hearts being protected. And I would never want anything I do to be interpreted as me trouncing your heart or running roughshod over it. And that's why I said what I said, so that from time to time, you can just, I can just put my heart out on the table. And I do. There's no guile in me. I, this isn't like ministry. We don't play church here. This is just raw people being raw. And I'm also always being raw, right? But, but I just want to make sure that, that you guys hear from me um, what's in my heart. So anyway, glory to God. Can I say something? Yeah. I never, ever feel anything but love from you, from Becky, from any of y'all. I just, y'all are just the neatest people ever. Brought me to freedom. I mean, I know the Lord did it all, but you said the, you said the words and I needed that. So Thank you for saying what you're saying. I think I understand that too. Amen. Yeah, glory yeah. to God. Yeah. It's and and we can just piggyback on forgiveness. You know, because I think sometimes people only want to say they're sorry if they think they've done something wrong. And I think that can lead to like a, a self-righteousness and a situation that becomes irreconcilable. And we don't just say we're sorry if we think we've done something wrong. It's actually more more about being concerned about the other person's heart, sure, and and understanding the propensity for to misunderstand each other. 
right? Yeah. And if, if you've been misunderstood in a way that causes somebody pain, I know a lot of times when I say I'm sorry, it's because I want to begin to express what's actually in my heart in case someone's perceiving something that's hurtful, right? It's not about who's right and who's wrong, right? And I think it would help people in their personal relationships when they, they, they thought about saying they're sorry to one another if, if we could get rid of who's right and who's wrong. Yeah. And I mean, Maurice's book, right? Yeah. About the, the tree, right? Of the knowledge of good and evil. We, we underestimate the impact the knowledge of good and evil has had on our relationships. And especially, listen, relationships can be messy. It's, it's really, it's, I want to say it's nearly impossible to be, to be in close fellowship with people and not feel hurt sometimes, right? It's nearly impossible. And when that happens, man, we don't want the knowledge of good and evil to come in and shape the interaction, right? And so one of the things you want to try to be ripped out of it is right and wrong. Who cares who's right and wrong? Because the whole apology situation will turn into fighting about who's right and who's wrong. And now you're both trying to establish your own judgments about what, what's happened and whether it's good or evil and who's the good one and who's the evil one and who's the one that got it right and who's the one that got it wrong. And now you got people fighting about that. Right. Who cares, man? All I want is for people to know that my heart is pure towards them. And if anything ever came out of me that hurt you or made you think it wasn't pure towards you, I'm sorry. And the sorry isn't like, I'm a bad little boy. Look how bad. The sorry is the intent in my heart has never been to cause you pain. That's the most important thing, not who's right and who's wrong. And I just want to reiterate this to everybody, not just from my perspective, but from the perspective of personal relationships. Listen, guys, as nice as we all are, as, as well as our intentions all are, we're going to fail each other sometimes. We just are. We're not God. I'm not God. Listen, I've failed Thomas before. Yeah, that, I've failed everybody in this room before. That that argument we had about Bitcoin made me very uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know it made <laughs> I know it made Nick uncomfortable. <laughs> I think it made you and I less uncomfortable. Nick was in the middle of us in a car and <laughs> Greg was on one side, I was on the other. We were going back and forth, arguing about Bitcoin, like for three hours. <laughs> what? No. No. But, and I'm, I'm thankful for the, for, for the brevity. And, and I'm thankful for Thomas in my life because, you know, Thomas, I've given Thomas lots of opportunities to misunderstand me. I really have. And he never has. And Maurice also. I've given Maurice lots of opportunities to misunderstand me. And he never has. And I just want to remind people about that for the people in their lives. The people in their life in your lives, they're gonna fail you sometimes. The people that are the closest to you, that love you the most, that want the best for you, they're going to get it wrong sometimes. They are, and it doesn't mean they don't love you. And it doesn't mean they have some malevolent, malicious thing working in their heart to try to hurt you. And to try to do things wrong. It's just that they're not God. And they can't be everything you need all of the time. And I just encourage everybody to understand that about each other. Because when you when we start judging one another like that, you start throwing people away is what you start doing. Right? And a lot of times you start throwing away the people that love you the most. And you you're it doesn't work reconciliation. 
And so I just encourage everybody to remember that, right? If you don't know, right? Because we, we walk around in the world and we actually do need someone that will never fail us. We do need someone's love that will never fail. And so we're actually looking for it. And the world teaches us to look for it in people. You can only find it in God. He's the only one that's never going to fail you. He's the only one that if you come and nail him to a tree and not intending to do it, that isn't going to return evil or good with evil or evil with evil. He's the only one. And so we're looking for that. And we tend to put the people in our lives on the hook to never fail. Right? And then when they do fail, we engage in a reconciliation process that involves imputing sin to one another. And we want to get to the bottom of who has sinned here. Who's the transgressor? Because we think if we can ascertain who's the transgressor, who's the one who sinned, that that's going to somehow bring peace. Right? Because then they can do their penance. Don't you know? And they can repent properly. Right? right? That doesn't bring reconciliation. That doesn't bring intimacy. That, that's not how the love of God manifests in the relationship. And so I'm not telling you you can't feel hurt. I'm not telling you it's wrong if you feel hurt. I'm not telling you that no one's ever going to not do something wrong to you. What I'm telling you, man, is in your personal relationships, the ones that you have, the people you know, the people that you love, you want to go forward knowing they're going to fail you. And when you guys start trying, that's the messiness of relationships. Has anybody had a relationship that isn't messy? No. <laughs> Anyone? I say no. <laughs> no one's had a relationship that isn't messy. And so in the messiness of the relationships, man, I just encourage you, don't let the, the conversation that ensues be about who's right and who's wrong. Because I promise you, God isn't coming to sit next to you to tell you you're right and they're wrong. Or that they're right and you're wrong. That's not the conversation in the Godhead. Right? Don't let the, the, the interaction be shaped that way. Rather, let the interaction be shaped with just the coming to understand what's going on in one another's hearts. So that there can be peace. The bond of peace. And there can be reconciliation. Instead of hurt feelings and further drifting away. Because anytime the imputation of sin wants to come and we start judging the thoughts and intents of people's hearts and we start deciding what was going on in them when they did and they said what they did mm-hmm. listen man we're eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and even if the other person acquiesces and says i'm sorry and they walk away feeling full of shame and guilt and upset that's not going to bring intimacy that's going to bring nakedness and a fear and a shamedness in the relationship. And even should you still be dwelling in the same house, you'll feel miles apart on the inside. Maurice. I was just going to say, you know, when you look at the world that we live in and the political tensions between nations that exist, the reason these enmities exist is that we have some kind of predisposed notion as to how life should be. And the Russians ain't behaving that way. And the Russians are looking at us, and they got their preconceived notions as to the way things should be. And they say, those people ain't behaving the right way. So we look at one another and judge unto death. But if some party, even if it's one side, opened up their hearts and said, you know what? I want these people to understand me. 
I'm going to go over there and talk to them and try and develop a relationship. I'm going to love those people. And when I get finished loving them, they're going to start loving me. Nobody's going to do that. The world ain't going to operate like that. The world's going to go its course. But communication between nations and between individuals where you lovingly share your heart with the other party. I don't know if you'd call it reconciliation. It can be reconciliation if there was something there to begin with. Yeah. But good, healthy relationship can exist when such a dialogue and communication takes place. But that's not, that's not the word of, way the world is. But for the believer, it is absolutely the way it should be, where we are knowing one another, knowing one another's hearts toward one another. Yeah. Yeah. I've had my belief system turned upside down multiple times since we've started coming here. And the one that I'm still most challenged with is the right and wrong and letting go of right and wrong and being right or wrong. That to me has been, I know that letting go of that is, is important and is the key to good relationships like we've talked about. Like good marriage. And good marriage. But it is so ingrained in us from, you're a good boy, you're a bad boy. It's so, from the beginning of, of the building of our belief systems, that, that letting that go and letting, trying to see things through Jesus's eyes and not through my own has been a real challenge. And I can remember sitting in our living room with Don Warner and talking about right and wrong and her saying, there is no such thing as right or wrong. And I went, <laughs> right? But in reality, that's what it comes down to. It comes down to seeing things the way God sees them and not the way the world sees them or the way I see it. And part of that is understanding right and wrong. The principle of right and wrong in a relationship is completely different than what the world has laid out for us. Well, think, think of how many years before you knew Christ, you were intimate with death. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, even after. In the, <laughs> <laughs> well, not, not, not in the sense that I'm using the term. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Intimate, the way I'm using it is one with. Um, okay. We were one with death. Yes. It's kind of weird to say. Yeah. And because we were one with death, we were also one with sin. And then you meet someone new. The old spouse has died, and the new spouse comes along and teaches you a different way. The faith. And that's what you express in terms of things being turned upside down. Yeah. The old spouse says, yeah, it's a matter of right and wrong. And you can have life by living by right and wrong. Which is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right. And so you go from being intimate with death and the logic of sin that you can have life by your own hand to being intimate with, with Christ who teaches you at exactly the, the pace that you need to be taught by. And 
from the perspective of right and wrong, we might say, well, I should understand that by now. <laughs> yeah. How long is it going to take? That's right. Yeah. yeah. Callie and I was, she was kind of teasing on the way over. Well, what are we going to talk about in the car that's going to come up? Because like, it always happens, and it's happened again. Because she just made one little sentence about things taking too long. Which I, something alluded to that idea. Yeah. And uh, when you're intimate, and you, you, we, we have, we grew up trusting in what the world teaches us. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And then we get to. Sp- Ultimately, you all get disappointed that it doesn't work. That's how I came to Christ. Mm. It leaves you dead. July 93, <laughs> sitting alone in my house. I just said out loud, this isn't working. <laughs> I was doing everything the world said you'd do to get happy. This isn't working. And, and the thing is, is, it's what you're judging things by. Mm. Right? Oh, yeah. And so God could see if something is the fruit of death or something that's present there isn't born from life, right? And we can also see that, right? And and the, the issue, though, is judging it by that. Sure. Judging the people by that. Mm-hmm. Thinking that, ascertaining that, and imputing that is now what's going to produce life that breaks it down, right? That causes it to be c- completely jacked up and not to... To pick on Callie, I'm not picking on you. We've all had all these thoughts ourselves, <laughs> right? And so when you give voice to them, you're the same as us. But I mean, Nick's birthday was—I don't—it was it yesterday or the day before. But anyway, I texted him and I was like, "Wow, quarter century, man!" And I said, "What's a quarter century when you're an eternal being?" And so then him and I started having this conversation that was outside of time. And his response, and even just the thought of how long will it take, which all of us have heard (laughs) inside of ourselves. And all of us have thought on a number of different things. What type of sense does that thought make in the scope of eternity? Well, we've gotten, uh, we were watching The Chosen and went through the whole series. And they talk about just the word soon, you know, Mm. and how... very relative to what your what your view of time is and soon to God versus soon to you know yeah. our timeline sometimes yeah so we were kind of laughing about that in a temporal yeah. state soon such a funny word people still people still argue about that theology and confuse all their theology based on that thought about the the word nigh or near that the coming of Jesus is near where Peter would say it, or some of the apostles would say it. And the people argue about whether or not that meant like in the next like decade or, or the next 30 or 40 years, or whether that meant a long time. And then we all know the verse that a day is as a thousand years to God, and a thousand years is as a day to God. And so you're right, in God's perspective. And again, it, it's born from the mindset of us trying to get somewhere instead of us being present with what we have in God now. Yeah, what's already accomplished. What's already what's already accomplished. And one of the things that helps us get deceived is there is fruit that comes from the intimacy with God. And so it's not like there isn't a result. So it becomes very difficult not to be walking with God looking for a result. I mean, if you're a married couple and you're a young married couple and all you've ever wanted was to have kids, right? 
it becomes difficult not to be thinking about the result of wanting kids as you're being intimate, right? Instead of just enjoying the intimacy. I mean, you even have young couples now. They put it on a calendar when they're going to go lie in bed together because that's the best time to try to have the, the result. And so because there is a result from intimacy with God, it becomes very difficult for us not to be thinking about the result sometimes. And it's very easy for us to be drawn away from just being aware of what we have now in God and, and just being present there with God, yes. right? Being present in the moment with God and, and, and feeling fully satisfied in that, right? It, it can become very difficult because, but, but there will be a result. And so when will that result be? And what will that result look like? And then, you know, you, you're, no, you're not present anymore. You're either living in the past, you're living in the future, Right. Instead of just being present. And I, one of the things I love about eternal life is to use worldly language, being present. It teaches you to be present in the moment. And, and it doesn't teach you like we think of teaching. It doesn't come right on the board. Thou shalt be present in the moment. <laughs> it doesn't do that. But it comes and convinces you that you have all things right now in yes. God, Amen. in your union with God. Yeah. Right. And that as it keeps massaging your heart with that. As you keep coming and walking with God in the garden of your heart, which there was a physical garden, but the garden of Eden is also an analogy for man's heart. Imagine that. It can be physical and an analogy. Wow. We don't have to eliminate one or the other, right? But it, it's the garden of our hearts. And as you keep coming and meeting with God and walking in the cool of the day in the garden of your heart, eternal life is being massaged into your hearts, into your thinking, into your thoughts. And what it brings forth in you is the ability to be present, right? In the moment, right? And that's a beautiful thing where you can just be present. I tell the guys all the time, because men a lot of times are, are, are more wired towards working for the goal. And I'll say women can't be also. But I try to tell the men all the time, man, your wife just is looking for you to be present. And you're always just thinking on what needs to be done and how it needs to be done, right? And you think you're present, but you're not really, yeah. right? And then the, the, the wife many times can feel upset because the man's not present. And then the man wants to come in and try to fix it. And he wants to try to tell her all the things that she needs to have fixed so she can feel good again. And she's trying, I don't need to be fixed. I don't need anything. I just want to be present with you. Just be here with me. Right? But anyway, yeah, that's a powerful thing, the, what eternal life will do to make you present. Well, what preceded the conversation of soon was exactly what Greg was just talking about. Because Callie said, well, uh, if you, I'm going to paraphrase because the memory isn't exact. If you're walking in faith, can you expect things to change? Or should you expect things to change? Okay. No, I said it's a natural expectation like sometimes that's right as you're walking in truth it's like this you just kind of assume things will start <laughs> being easier <laughs> you're like, well, I'm, be, I'm exposing myself like why do i still feel the same feelings sometimes and i said well it depends on what you define things to be if you define to be circumstances no i think that's a bad assumption to make because the circumstances may never change but if you, yeah. if you say the things are uh, like uh, the fruit of the Spirit, like contentment, yes, you that's a good assumption mm -hmm. that if you walk by faith, you can expect to have peace. And then she said, when? And I said, soon. 
how special your relationship <laughs> is and how few people have the conversations yeah. that, that uh, you've always blessed us with. Thank you. Uh, to be mm -hmm. perfectly honest, as we were driving, because this happens virtually every time, I was actually looking, when's it going to happen? Because <laughs> it hasn't <laughs> happened yet. You know, it's like we haven't had any profound conversations. <laughs> and so this was just almost like a casual, like passing a minute or two. Yeah. But it's kind of funny, even in that. Uh, yeah, we, uh, we we actually have enjoyed that uh, phenomenon of, of being able to uh, tap into what the spirit is going to bring out on the table here. Yeah. It's a cool thing. And we, actually, we started doing. Um, called Zoom, but it's actually FaceTime. On Tuesday nights, uh, Callie, Nicholas, Charlie, Lisa, and I, oh, and Hunter, friend of Nicholas, we have our own little FaceTime thing. Awesome. Oh. <laughs> Some of it's not fit for recording. <laughs> Human consumption. <laughs> I'm not going to even say what Nick said the other night. <laughs> it's pretty funny. But it's not, it's uh, a... Yeah, can't, can't publish some of those comments. I'd like to go back to something that Jay said about right and wrong. And I think um, for a lot of us, we grew up even after we became Christians, and we thought God was obsessed with right and wrong. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah. Exactly. We thought yes. that was his belief system, yeah. Yeah. was right and wrong. And if we could get things right, he was pleased with us. And if we couldn't, he wasn't. Yes. And so that's a hard thing too. And I, it takes time to get all that out, yeah. so that we be, can be, truly begin to live by what God said. And it wasn't right and wrong. It was about life and death. Yeah. Oh. There you go. Mm -hmm. Here's the icons. Oh, wow. Nice. Beautiful. So originally, that one. I don't know if you can see, but that's Jesus on the cross. That's the Father hugging him from behind, oh, yeah. holding him up. And that's the dove, that's the Holy Spirit right over his head. I like so the triangle that's, that's the Trinity. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's the Godhead on the cross. Yeah. Which is actually a technically sound way of depicting the cross. Because you're supposed to see the Father, Son, and Spirit laying down their life for the world. Wow. That's amazing. Right? And, and what a lot of Christian theology has done is separated the Father and the Spirit from the cross. Yes. To where it's only the sun. Yes. And you don't see God there. Mm -hmm. you, in fact, we've removed yes. the Father and the Spirit as if they've yes. abandoned Jesus there. They turned yeah. away. And we don't realize what that teaches us. And the, the, the point of the cross, guys, I, I say the point because it's like the wisdom of God. So you could say the point of the cross about a million different things. Is that this guy, God, Father, Son, and Spirit, will never abandon anyone and we've taught it in the way as if he did and he had and he would and what he's trying to convey is that he would never forsake us or leave us to the degree that he would even come into the earth god almighty and make himself vulnerable to us in our hurt in our pain in our death to the degree god almighty I mean, we call him God Almighty, but we think Almighty in worldly terms. You know why he's Almighty? Because he didn't have a problem making himself vulnerable to us in our hurt, in our hatred, in our death. Right? That's what makes God Almighty. But God Almighty let himself be stripped naked 
was born of a virgin, born in blood. God Almighty put on perishable flesh. Do you know why? Because he wouldn't abandon us. This is where he had to come to find us. Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? Where God came looking for Adam? This is God coming to look for us, asking us where we are. And do you know where we are? We're in the darkness of death. And the cross is a picture that you see the darkness come. The cross is a picture of God entering into that to find us in our nakedness, in our shame, in our fear, in our confusion, in our hurt. So that he could clothe us. So that he could heal us. Right? So he could speak to us where we were at. And so that's why I got that. Because I don't see a lot of things that get that right. Mm -hmm. yeah. How'd you find it, right? Uh, some website. I'll, I can find it and send it to people. But I, got, I, was, I was looking for something for Christmas. And I like ancient. I say ancient. I like the Byzantine era, right? And a lot of the, the art from that. I like art. I'm strange. Um, but I, I got that. And then I saw this. And I was just moved by how accurate that they, they got it. Right? But there's the Father. You know, and you have a picture of Moses when Moses is praying in the Old Testament. And he's holding his hands up, right? I think it's when the Red Sea parted. It might be a, another uh, account. And Caleb held his hands up. Yeah, and his, hand, his hands are getting tired, and they're coming down, right? And, and then Aaron comes and holds up Moses' hands, right? And it's like the Father and the Spirit were in the Son, with the Son, right? Upholding the Son as the Son is the one clothed in the body, Right? that's taking in the death of the world into himself. And there they are, embracing him. Yeah. I promise you, Jesus felt him embraced by the Father. He first heard the voices telling him, where's, where's your Father now? He heard the voices. He felt the confusion. He felt all that, right? But, but the Holy Spirit, the dove, interceded in Jesus' heart to comfort Jesus with what? The presence of the Father. The embrace of the Father. And there's the Father embracing Jesus. And Jesus being upheld by the loving embrace of the Father. And Jesus even says that in John. He, he talked about how he abided in the Father's commandment. And then he described the Father's commandment as the Father's love. Right? I abided in the Father's love. And abide just means to... There's a lot of different ways you could say it. Um, it just means to be aware. Right? Jesus' eyes were eternally fixated on the love of the Father, right? That that was the thing he saw no matter what, right? That that was the rock with which his life was built on, right? Because Jesus, the commandment of Jesus, do you know what the commandment of Jesus was? That the Father even gave Jesus? I mean, he says in John, the Father has given me commandment. And you know what that commandment was? It was to declare the Father. It says, Jesus, Jesus said, I'm, I didn't come to talk about myself. I came to minister to you, the Father, because in knowing the Father, that gives you eternal life. And so Jesus abided in the Father's commandment. He even abided in the Father's love. And at the cross, he is declaring the Father, Abba, right, as the life giver. Because there he is, needing life. And in the resurrection is the evidence Amen. that he was heard. It's the proof. He was heard right then on the cross. But for all of us guys, guys like me that are slow, Right? And so, I just love that. Yeah. That picture. I thought the other one, 
The other one is just jo Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. It was Christmas time. And so I started thinking, I don't have a, a, a cool picture of those two. And I like art, and I like this error. Um, and so I, I found this. And as, as I was looking at this, I saw that, and I couldn't believe it. Yeah. I couldn't believe they had the Father yeah. wrapped in holding Jesus. You know, and really, that's what... That's what does it for us as we walk in this world is, is seeing that, right? And becoming, that's what the Holy Spirit was given to guide us into the place where we could always see the Father's righteousness towards us to uphold our lives, right? Just like he upheld Jesus's life. And that's what we need as we walk in the earth. It yeah. makes me think of the Lord's Prayer, that the first words, our Father. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Came to show us our Father. Yeah. And theologically speaking, isn't that a powerful thing, Linda? Because Jesus hadn't died or been raised from the dead yet. Right. So how could he tell those people, our Father? Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Denise, did you finish your thought? About I'm so sorry, yeah. Right or wrong? Yeah, yeah, I did. I just think that that plays a really big thing in our attitude about right and wrong. Yeah. Our being able to get over it. Right. Yeah. Be able to let go of it. Something got planted in our heart that said that's how God was. Mm -hmm. Can you say that again for me? Because I missed it. Yeah. That I think a lot of our, our issues with right and wrong is even after we became Christians, we thought God lived in that system. If we did wrong, he was not happy with us. And if we did right, he was happy with us. So we thought God ministered from that viewpoint of right and wrong. So all of a sudden we're told we should let go of that. And you're like, what? <laughs> come out of us, you know, before that, the the elimination of right and wrong begins operating in our lives freely, effortlessly. Uh, to back off of what you said, something that I'm just so grateful for, like after coming here, is how my thought process changed and how uh, God just began to, how I became convinced of, you know, God's love for me and just like hearing about that. And then um, I began to hear God speak to me about like actions I would take that I was just like super embarrassed by or maybe I said something that I thought you know I'm, I've always been like a very sensitive and empathetic person so I'm always imagining how somebody else's emotional reaction might be about something I say or something I do and God would just begin to talk to me and begin to just open up my heart like a treasure and say look at what was in it you know when you were speaking with that person what show me where something's wrong in that and I, I would just begin to think oh wow you know I didn't even realize that was in there I was so busy judging the outcome you know and so um as God began to do that for me uh I felt like it took time it took a, a long time like probably over like years of God just healing my heart uh where I then began to be able to do that for others when they're speaking to me and I would initially want to hold on to some hurt or hold on to the way that I felt about that um, action or whatever. And, and I felt like God just showed me that there was a better way that I didn't have to hold on to that first thought or that first feeling that I could wait to hear what he had to say about it and receive a different interpretation. And so, um, so yeah, so I think that uh, definitely it all begins with our individual relationship with God and just understanding 
the incredible amount of love he has for us. And until I feel like you get that right, and by right, I just mean, like Greg always talks about that, talking to and, and sharing and, and saying, this is what I feel and this is how I feel from this action and this is how I feel from my own action. And until like you really receive every single treasure God has in his heart for you, I feel like it's impossible to really misjudge the actions of others. Yeah, and both of you guys are so right. We don't re look at it this way because of our cultural definition of offense, but we were all offended with God. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we all thought God got it wrong. Yeah. yeah. Or God's done us wrong. <laughs> or he wasn't God the right way. Otherwise, this couldn't have happened, that couldn't have happened, and all these other things would have happened. Exactly. If he was getting it right. And, yeah. and offense in the, the Hebrew sense would mean to stumble at the truth. <laughs> and involving people, you would stumble at the truth about the person. Right? right? That's what it would mean to be offended. And mm -hmm. the way you would stumble at the truth is you would draw a conclusion about their heart and their person based on some event. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And to, to Brandy's point and my mom's point, you would come to conclusions about what it meant. Right? We talk about this all the time. You know, yeah. where who told you? Yeah. Where God come and asked Adam, who told you? Right. We all do this when we, we're all tempted to do this when we feel hurt. You're not going to not try to decide what happened when you feel hurt. Yeah. It's like a human reaction. It's like a reflex. You know, you yeah. go to the doctor and they hit your knee. Yeah. You don't have to think for your leg to shoot out. Your leg shoots out before you think about it. Yeah. So when something hurtful happens, by, by reflex, you're already trying to ascertain what it means that it happened. Mm -hmm. And that's not the evil part. That's the thing I didn't understand. Yeah. That thought process is not the, right, the evil coming. part. No. It's the holding on to. It's the holding on and to. And not right? being willing to listen mm -hmm. to another explanation right. from God. Yeah. Letting God come and yeah. tell you what happened. Yeah. Right. I like the picture you had of opening your heart and seeing what was in your heart and mm -hmm. thinking of God like that. We saw inside his heart. Yeah. And that's Jesus. Yeah, that's yeah. Jesus. That's right. God opened up his heart so we could see his heart yes. because we were deeply offended with God. That's right. And we had drawn many conclusions about God in our lives with God. And so then God comes and says, who told you? Yeah. And Jesus is God. I mean, Jesus is called the word of God. And I don't want to get ethereal here, but I think we, we lose out on the, the wisdom of Jesus when we just look at the physical Jesus. But Jesus is God saying, who told you about all the things we concluded about God in our lives with God? And so it is a reflex. You're going to try to figure out. You know why you're going to want to figure out what, what it means that this happened? Because you think in figuring out what it means that this happened, you can assign the proper judgment. And in you assigning the proper judgment, that judgment will keep it from ever happening to you ever again. <laughs> that's what you. That's what we all think. We do. And that's why we get busy with it. You see, something that can happen, though, when you start to realize your protection and your safety is God himself, right? As that reflex starts happening, where you get to, to reasoning and thinking and concluding. And you know who comes and has a powwow with you? When you get to reasoning and concluding and trying to figure out yeah, yeah. what's going yeah, on, the serpent. The serpent. Yeah. He comes and wants to have a powwow. That's right. <laughs> he starts He starts interjecting. Because I promise you, it ain't from within inside of you that many of the thoughts come. It's external to you that many of the thoughts come. And now you start having a powwow with all these judgments and all these conclusions. And you start thinking you get it right. What you want to hear is the voice of God. Who told you? Right, because I promise you, God, like I said, God doesn't come sit down next to you and tell you that 
they're wrong and you're right. God doesn't come down and sit next to you and say, look what they've done to you. Look what they've said about you. God doesn't come and say, they don't respect you. They don't love you. They don't honor you. And it sounds funny now, but I'm saying that. I promise you, when you're in the midst of the hurt or in the midst of someone you love and that you trust failing you, when you're in the midst of that, it it feels like it is God saying that. It feels like it is God telling you they failed you. They don't love you. They've never been there for you. It feels like it is. If we're just being honest, it feels like it's the right thought. It feels like it's the right way. And then God comes, who told you? We all thought God failed us. We all thought he wasn't there for us when we needed him. We all thought he didn't hear us, that he didn't care. Don't you care, Lord? Isn't that what the disciples said to Jesus? <laughs> Don't you care, Lord? I mean, they've been walking with this dude, healing people, multiplying the fishes and the loaves, raising the dead in the name of God. Don't you care, Lord? I mean, and we think it makes sense. It's God, go ahead. And there's something that you told us years ago that I'll never forget. When these kinds of things happen and you're feeling offended or you're feeling hurt by someone, you told us they always only wanted to love you. Yep. Yes. And that has stuck with me for years. Right. Because that's not how we think when yeah. someone is offending us or we feel hurt. Yep. But they always only wanted to love us. But why couldn't they? Yeah. For, there's m- many, many reasons. But the one thing that always comes to my mind is they're believing a lie. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so... That's helpful to remember. They always only wanted to love us, but for whatever reason, they couldn't. Yeah, and many times their idea of love isn't understood, right? Do you guys think Jesus was loving the Pharisees when he when he called them the offspring of the viper? I mean, if we're just being honest, that don't sound like love based on our view, but we know he was loving them, right? Jesus said some things that sounded harsh, and we we get we get so caught up into judging. You're right. Yeah. That's that's believing the best about everyone, right? Yes. First, de- defaulting to they want good, mm-hmm. they intend for good to come forth. A lot of times, their judgment though about good is based on the knowledge of good and evil. Yes. Right. And so then, the, what the way they're engaging isn't actually producing good, right? Right? It's producing bad. And so I encourage everybody, who who told you? And then, because once you start thinking of, is would God say that to me? It I found it really acts as a discerning thing, where you start to realize how ridiculous the thoughts you were thinking were true sound, right? Because they make complete sense at the time. Let's just be honest, right? And you start trying, you don't just decide that was hurtful. You get into all the thoughts and intents behind it. And you start, this is why it happened. This is what they're doing. This is what they think. This is why they think it. This is where they're at. You don't know any of that. We're not the judge of the thoughts and intents of people's hearts. We, we should stop with, that was hurtful, period. That was hurtful, period. And what happens is, is when we implement all these judgments in our personal relationships, we never actually have the conversations that can bring healing. Because the conversations are always like this. <laughs> right and then i promise you when you go like that to somebody I, what i even want to say is a, a very spiritual person can sometimes maybe get it right not to do that back 
<laughs> Only the Lord Jesus would never do that back. Right? But when you do like that to somebody, because you haven't just said, I'm hurt, and said, I know you didn't intend to hurt me. I know you didn't intend to fail in this place. And I know, and you know what? I even know that God's the only one that can't fail me. And so I'm not even imputing it to you that you failed me. But I just want you to know what I feel in my heart, right? And the whole point should be for both of you to come to a better understanding of each other. So you can walk together in love and dwell with each other in wisdom, right? But the moment you go like that, when somebody's hurt you, listen, you're stoking self-justification in them. And in their heart, they could probably easily acknowledge that something they did was hurtful. But then they're trying to prove, but that was never in my heart. Because you don't just say it was hurtful. You come and tell them what was going on in their heart that produced the hurt. And so now they're not even hearing just that you were hurt. They're busy with wanting you to know all those things you've decided about what was in my heart and what was behind me failing you. None of those things are true. And so now they're just trying to prove to you that the only thing that's in their heart is to be good to you and to love you. Right? And so now it's just an arguing back and forth. Where if you just, listen, and we don't always get it right, but if you could come back afterwards, after you think about it, I know you've never intended to hurt me. And I actually know what is in your heart is love for me, right? And you want to get rid of the misunderstanding. I feel like there's a big misunderstanding going on. You see, when you remove the accusations and the judgments about each other, then you can actually have the profitable conversations. Because I promise you, God had to first remove the accusations and the judgments we had about us and him before we could even start having proper conversations. I, I know he had to do that to me. I use the example all the time because our dog, Buck, had a dog glue. It's like an igloo out in the backyard. And so he was out in the backyard all the time. He's a husky. He chewed everything up. He couldn't live inside. That poor dog wanted to be inside. And he was always so sad looking at us all inside. It tormented him. But I, I, I felt like I was like the dog in the backyard. And the house is God's house. And I didn't think I could go into the house. I thought God wanted me outside of the house. Well, God was all the time trying to tell me things. Well, you can't hear when you're outside the house and he's in the house. And so he had to first do something to get me close enough into the house to where I could hear what he even had to say before we could even start having the proper conversations. And the thing he had to get out of the way so I could even be present and even hear what he had to say was all the judgments and accusations I made about who and what he was and what was in his heart and all the judgments and accusations I had about myself and what was in my own heart. And what we don't understand when people hurt us, when we feel hurt by people and we come pointing out and judging their heart, many times their heart's already condemning them. They're already struggling with that. Right? right. And so it, it isn't, well, I'm letting him off the hook. That's how the carnal mind will. It's not letting <laughs> off the hook. It's let's have conversations that can actually produce life yeah. in our relationships and actually heal the hurt. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Let's have those conversations. So we're not removing right or wrong to let people off the hook. We're removing right or wrong from the judgments we're making about one another knowing that proving who's right or wrong can't produce the life or the healing we want. Amen. That's not what produces the life and healing that we want, right? But we think it will, right? We think it will. So you pluck that out the way, and now you can start having real conversations 
where you can start expressing yourself to one another without the judgments and the accusations, yeah. right? And then people can start to have a better understanding of one another. Oh, this is what hurts you? I never intended for that to hurt you, and that's actually not what I was trying to say at all. It's like Brennan Manning says. His friend, the Hasidic rabbi, said he learned the meaning of love from two drunkards in a bar. When the one drunkard said to the other drunkard, I love you, man. And the drunkard looked at his friend and said, I love you, man, and said, if you love me, tell me what hurts me. And the one drunkard said, I don't know what hurts you. What are you talking about? And the friend said, how can you say you love me if you don't know what hurts me? And so many times when we express our hurt, we do it in a condemning way. And we don't mean to because we're hurt, right? And this isn't about how we got to get it right every time we do it. But man, as the gospel can pluck that out the way, you can begin to express your hurt without putting somebody on the defensive. Because what you're really wanting, I promise, use this example. You're wanting them to understand you as a person and the things that try to hurt you in life. So that they can begin to know you and know what hurts you, right? Not so they can be your savior and get it right all the time, but so that you can walk together in love, right? And you can start to understand one another better. And they can express to you what hurts them and the things that have hurt them. And now you guys start to learn about one another, which is where the foundation from intimacy happens. Because you've seen into the depth of one another's hearts. And you begin to see, man, I see what hurt them. I see what hurts them, right? And you know, and that's what will produce what we're actually wanting when we feel hurt and we're coming to the other person with the hurt. Today is our 29th wedding anniversary. Oh, congratulations. uh, We celebrated last night with a couple of lobster. (laughs) Anyway, we're talking about uh, 29 years and we didn't talk about, look what we've achieved, look at our children. Mm. Remember what we talked about? We understand what, both of us struggle with oh. death. And when you can, that that's really a recipe for a great relationship right yes. there, I yeah. think. Yes. Yeah. Of course, Jesus, but yes. <laughs> you gotta have that ingredient. <laughs> but, but if you understand what the other person is struggling with, and that's the same thing you're struggling with, you can be a lot more forgiving. Yeah. And by forgiving, I mean in the correct definition that we learned here, that you are separating them in your mind from from death you're separating the effect death has on them from them yes Mm -hmm. Yes. and and not just from them i don't want to say it that way he's right i want to make sure everybody grabs onto that that would also include the judgments you make about them in light of the death you see Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. because if you say you separate them from the death but then you're still making judgments (laughs) about the thoughts and intents of their heart you hadn't separated them from death at all right it's still one and the same. Yeah. Does that make sense about, this isn't about how we, we're trying to let people off the hook. That's the, the natural mind thinking, but this is about how we can attain the actual result we want mm-hmm. when there's something hurtful that happens in a relationship, yes. right? Mm-hmm. So that we can actually find the healing and reconciliation and we can be understood. We actually desire to be understood. We actually desire to be seen. Right. And one of the main things that helps us to feel understood and helps us to feel seen is if people understand what hurts us. Because, you know, when we feel hurt, what we want the most is love, compassion, 
yeah. understanding, right. acceptance. <laughs> that's what we want the most. And that's what we're actually wanting, right? When we feel that way. Well, it's very difficult for people to give you that if they don't understand your struggle. If they don't understand the way the world has tried to come against your life. If they don't understand the things you've had to war with. I mean, Jim Dixon, who isn't here, I tell the story a million times. When he was in seminary, they take everybody to New Orleans, Bourbon Street, for their missionary field trip, right? <laughs> because that's the best place to go and witness. And he went and tried to witness to a, a drunk guy on the street that was homeless. And the guy said, the guy cussed at him. I won't say the cuss words. But <laughs> he interjected some expletives in the midst of what he said. But you know what he said to Jim as Jim was trying to share the gospel with him? Come live a week with me and then tell me. You see what the guy's saying? You don't know me. You don't know what hurts me. You don't know what I've struggled with in this world. Come be with me for a week so you can understand me and what's going on in me. Right? And that, that's what people want. And see, so we, we lose sight of that because we get caught up in figuring out what hurt us, what it means that we're hurt, and then making the judgment about it so that we can now deliver ourselves from being hurt ever again. And that results in circumcising people out of your life, right? That results in you throwing people in the garbage can, right? And that doesn't mean you never feel led to go in this direction or that direction, right? But you wouldn't do it from a place of hurt and pain. You would do it from a place of abundance. You wouldn't do it from a place of condemning the other person. You would do it from a place of abundance, right? And you would walk it out that way. Yeah. Does that make any sense? Mm-hmm. Man, y'all, that was fantastic how y'all brought in the relationship with God, Brandy, and my mom as the dynamic. Because, yeah, that comes first because we're first offended with him. Yeah. I mean, even, I mean, even, I, I don't get offended with God anymore, like, because I understand what's, what's going on after all these years, finally. But I'm not going to lie. There's times where there's a period of time where things are going really wrong. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, Come on, man. Dude, right? I ain't asking for much. Right? I I laid down everything, bro. I'm not asking for any of these things. But really? Right? I'm not offended anymore, but there can be times where you you just feel that way. Right? And so even now, but yeah, first getting that all plucked out with God, it it enables you to start seeing things from above. And as Phelan would say, living from above living from what is right yes and living from what is is a powerful force in our life because then it's like you're walking around experiencing the days of heaven on earth Amen. right right who told you who told you greg right and it's like oh man right does that make any sense yeah yeah, glory to God. All right. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> it's like an Irish good life. Irish good life. Irish good life.